0: I think we both like being in the dark. Much like Batman. Bane? <laughs> what was the quote about darkness? How was You merely
1: the... adapted to the dark. I was born in it. <laughs> Molded by it. Something like that.
0: Something like that. Quoted almost verbatim. I can't remember how it ends Hey, what's this. the opposite of verbatim?
1: Ad libum. <laughs> <laughs> Cut that out. Sounds like a part of the genitals. (laughs) Where's the libum? Oh, my (laughs) God. The amount of times
0: I have to cut out myself saying, oh, my gosh, on this podcast because of something you say is insane. I always laugh, and then I go, I can't believe you just (laughs) said that. You can't say that. We always end up having to cut that out. It's too grotesque, man.
1: It's a shame that there are things that you can't make into comedy. We could put that out there. No
0: one would listen to us.
1: Yeah, I don't think we're big enough. We're small enough. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, <laughs> we can't leave any of that in. <laughs> you can cut it around certain We things. need to get to know our demographics so we can better field these bits. Our demographic is... Maybe put out a survey with the next podcast. We could talk
0: to the two of them and see what they want.
1: We should put a link in the podcast description to a straw poll. Do you think these jokes are funny? (laughs) Answer yes or no.
0: You know what? I can do that. That'd be really funny to do.
1: Like, click this link and we can, you know. Like, how are we doing? (laughs) Are you... Did you like when Gabe said this? Are you satisfied with your podcast experience? (laughs) I would love that, really. We can do that today. We can Community do that. engagement. Yeah. Well, my goal today is to get through a podcast without stuttering my mind off. Oh, my gosh. Steven has some really great little cuts Master with form. me. Did it, 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 did the research. sound like Elmer Fudd. I'm going to work on that. Today. No stutters. I like when you stutter. It makes it fun It humanizes for me. you, Gabe. It, your otherwise cold, lifeless exterior. No, it <laughs> makes
0: it fun for me to edit the podcast. Whenever those show up.
1: Those little Easter eggs.
0: Yeah. I can then play with it a little bit. I can make you sound stupider than you are.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do that all right by myself, I think. So what are we doing today, Gabriel? Gabriel? Gabriel. Today is going to be... Changing it up? Yeah, we haven't done a video game before. No.
0: But that's important to pop culture.
1: It is. It is. It's very important, especially to our generation. And I think there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from the little discussion that I was thinking about having hmm. that you can apply towards other mediums like film and art in general, maybe. A little factoid for the few people that are listening to this. Video
0: games often have higher grossing and a higher reach than even films do. And so the video game industry is much larger than most people would think.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think it has a, a stigma to it that is sort of well-deserved, but Gabe and I would like to try to break that stigma a little bit by doing a, a podcast on a video game to try to open up the minds of why this could be applied and pertained to all of our lives just as well as a television show or a movie or anything else could. Music. And this particular video game just came out about three weeks ago, four weeks ago. It's one of the fastest selling games that PlayStation has ever released.
1: And it's had one of the most divisive receptions I think I've ever seen in a video game release. Very akin to this new Star Wars franchise that we've been getting, particularly The Last Jedi in terms of the way it just absolutely split the fan base. There was little to no lukewarm reception. It was pretty much all, either we love this or we hate this entry in this IP.
0: And this also is a podcast where the tables are turning a little bit, and Gabe knows all the information, and I know very little information.
1: I feel naked right now (laughs) just (laughs) you
0: look naked it's because your clothes are off
1: yeah i'm very warm in here um (laughs) this will be a shorter podcast because it would be boring to listen to me speak at length about this i disagree but this game but called
0: the last of us part two
1: A little background, I think, before we talk about the game. Last of Us 1 came out in 2013 on the PlayStation 3, released by Naughty Dog. That game was an absolute smash success with the community, and it holds a very special spot in the hearts of, I guess we could call them gamers. Uh, (laughs) A lot of particularly young people, millennials and Generation Z, yeah, because it was an incredibly emotional story. And you don't see a lot of in-depth character studies in video games. Usually video games are focused on mechanics and gameplay and just having fun, and it's a kind of frivolous activity. But The Last of Us was a game that really tested you in what you thought was conventional storytelling in video games. I know that people rave about that game, and they love
0: it. One of our coworkers has played it all the way through, maybe eight times. It's something that has really hit home for a lot of people like Gabe said outside of it just being a video game it's something that people come back to time and time again very beloved
1: so fast forward seven years to 2020 and the (laughs) hotly anticipated sequel has released to a very different response and the game attempted to tell a very different story than what was anticipated the first game followed A few individuals in a post-apocalyptic wasteland Uh, a few years after a zombie outbreak you pick up with a man who lost his daughter during the outbreak 20 years prior you play through that sequence briefly at the beginning it's a very emotional sequence where his daughter dies in his arms and this man becomes very jaded over the next 20 years and he's more of an anti-hero than a hero he ends up meeting a girl and is tasked with delivering her across the country to a group who thinks that she holds the cure to this worldwide virus, that she might be the hope for mankind because she's immune. Is it kind
0: of similar to I Am Legend a little bit, sort of?
1: Actually, I think the perfect comparison is Children of Men. Oh, okay. That Alfonso Cuaron film is basically the template. Clive Owen escorts this girl across the country. A similar position, she held the secrets to this right. scenario. So anyway... This guy, Joel, delivers this girl, Ellie, across the country, and... She's immune, right? Yeah, she's immune. He's jaded. He is very against the idea of this whole mission in the beginning, but over the course of the game, the two characters bond, and there's this really wonderful and touching relationship between them that grows and blossoms, sort of a father-daughter thing. And then at the end of the game, there's this climactic event where the forces that were receiving her... Spoilers. Yeah, this is spoiler territory, so if you want to stop the podcast... For, the,
0: for Last Of Us 1.
1: For the first game. But yeah, they get to the camp, and it is established now, unbeknownst to the characters beforehand, that this, getting the information required to create the cure, would kill Ellie in the process. So Joel has to make a decision whether to let that happen for the good of mankind, or to save Ellie, selfishly, because he's grown this attachment. He's filling hole in his heart that has been there for 20 years since his daughter passed, and she's roughly the same age. She basically fills that role in his life. So the game ends with Joel making that second decision, and he rampages through this base, killing everyone in his path, and they get out of there. He He, saves her, essentially, but it's a very bittersweet, morally gray end, because he's basically stolen this possible cure for mankind... And to double down on that, Ellie has no idea what has happened and she wakes up once they've gotten away and she's unaware of everything that has just transpired. So Joel lies to her, says, I'm sorry, it was all for nothing. There was no way they could have gotten a cure. So he lies to her. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of the game. It cuts there and sort of left on this note where they're going to live however much longer they can in the apocalypse. End of the sequel. Yeah. And there wasn't even going to be a sequel for a while, but as you can imagine with the way things work in Hollywood. So it is with games. And if there's a very successful franchise or entry in a possible franchise, there will be a franchise for money's sake. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So a sequel is confirmed a few years later and last of us two after numerous delays and possibly a very tumultuous production process, the game is released seven years later. sort of where the discussion begins this game released and it was not the story that a lot of people were looking forward to in terms of developing that storyline from the first game further which was you know they wanted to see these two characters interact with each other and where their relationship would go in this world so here's the spoiler for the second game the first of two in the beginning of the second game Joel is just basically killed right off the bat <laughs> very unceremoniously crazy Yeah, it was an extremely bold decision. He was like the most well-liked character, right? Yeah, he was everybody's guy, and he was more or less the actual main character of the first game, even more so than Ellie. Hmm. You play as Joel for 90% of the first game. Mm -hmm. So the second game begins with him being killed by another character who we haven't met before. Uh, Very athletic woman. (laughs) She's a very masculine woman. And, I mean, they were very intentional with their design of the physique of this woman. Right. Anyway, this woman, Abby, she kills Joel, and it's revealed later on that she kills him because her father was one of the doctors doctors that was working on the cure at the end of the first game. So she's been on this course of vengeance for four years. The second game takes place four years down the line, and she kills Joel right off the bat. Ellie's there to witness it. She's traumatized by the event. And so for the next 10 hours of gameplay in a 25, roughly 25 to 30 hour game, you play as Ellie hunting down these people in a revenge story. Mm -hmm. And then another very interesting thing happens in the storytelling. At that point, her story comes to a, a breaking point where she runs into Abby and this conflict is about to happen. And then the game stops. The clock winds back and you begin to play as Abby over the corresponding amount of time that you play Ellie which is three days in Seattle so you play as Ellie three days in Seattle hunting down Abby and then you play Abby three days in Seattle doing her own thing she has her own storylines but the basic premise of those ten hours is that you're building empathy for this character Abby who just, killed. who just killed your boy Joel <laughs> at the beginning of the game so you begin by hating this character absolutely despising her You know, if you've ever loved someone and watched them die in front of you (laughs) in a very brutal way, you would hate the person who did that, obviously. And
0: and we should note that the graphics in this game, the way that it looks, it's not just done in a computer. They mocap everything, which is motion capture. They have actual actors in suits, like you've seen Andy Serkis in Lord of the Rings or Planet of the Apes. They act out everything. So the characters look very real. And when a character dies, it feels and looks very real.
1: This game takes the expression gritty realism to an entirely new level. And like Steven said, everything is very detailed and the animations are extremely brutal, very visceral. So they try to build empathy for this character. Yeah. So you spend the next 10 hours building empathy for the villain, Abby, and she becomes in her story the hero. The protagonist. Because everyone is in their own story the hero. Or at least they feel that way. Yeah. (laughs) And then that ends... The 10 hours of gameplay, and then there's a few more hours at the end of the game, and here's what happens. You.
0: Spoilers again.
1: Uh, yeah, th- for the third time. <laughs> these characters on their collision course finally meet. You're still playing as Abby at this point, and now these characters have to fight. They have to essentially duel to the death. Bare hands, guns, knives, whatever's around. And you play as Abby attacking Ellie. So it's extremely off-putting for the entire fight because most players at this point, or at least the intention of the game, is to have you feel conflicted because you've played as both these characters now.
0: I feel like at this point, being an audience member or being a, the person who's in charge of the player, the, the game. The player. <laughs> being yeah. the player. Being the player. that The whole time you're playing as Abby, you just want to get back to Ellie to be able to play as Ellie again. So by the time that you get to Ellie. It's like,
1: yeah. So half of the people feel exactly like that. And they were absolutely sick of the Abby storyline. I would
0: just be so upset that I couldn't go to Ellie and, and, murder Abby for how terrible she is. But maybe, maybe by that point you're supposed to feel that she's not terrible. Was that that's the, the intention. That's the intent of
1: the it. fact is that for half of the people or whatever the percentage is that completely fell flat, didn't land. The intention didn't work anyway, that happens. And then the game doesn't end there. Abby wins the fight and runs away. Ellie is beaten. She's broken physically, emotionally. She has been suffering the effects of PTSD across the course of the game. This revenge has really taken its toll on her body and mind. Now we fast forward a few years after she's lost this fight and Abby's in the wind. And we pick up back with Ellie who is now sort of a year later or so living peacefully on a farm with her significant other and a child that they adopted. It's a long story. (laughs) (laughs) And they're happy, sort of. Ellie is still suffering the effects of PTSD. It's one of the through lines of the game. In stumbles a character from her past, Joel's brother, Tommy. He approaches Ellie with one last plea for revenge yeah for action and he has tracked down Abby once and for all to this place in California Tommy can't do it because he's been left crippled by these acts of revenge over the course of the game so it's up to Ellie she can't let it go because she's been suffering the effects of PTSD and she has never had any sense of closure over the course of the game for the death of Joel and for what she's been going through and the losses they've sustained in the process so Ellie leaves her significant other who has told her that if you go do this, I'm done. You know, we can't keep <laughs> doing this cat and mouse game. But Ellie leaves. She has to see it through. So she goes to track down this character. Abby was captured by a weird post-apocalyptic biker gang Oh right, in Santa Barbara.
0: Oh, so it goes to Santa Barbara. That's interesting. As
1: it's sort of an epilogue. It's only about two hours of the 25 to 30 hours of gameplay. Right. So she gets there. She finds Abby has been strung up to die on what they call the pillars. She is emaciated, she is completely beaten, sort of like how we saw Ellie at the end of her storyline a little earlier in the game. She's just a husk of a human being. And Ellie finds her, cuts her down, and Ellie is walking with Abby as they're leaving the compound to get on these boats to go their separate ways. You're assuming what's racing through Ellie's mind is, what do I want to do now? I've been working for however long it's been since Joel's died. I've been moving towards this point. I've sacrificed so much. What's going to happen now? Mm -hmm. So she's about to leave. They're about to go their separate ways. And she turns around. She faces Abby, and she says, I can't let you leave. I have to see this through. Abby's, you know, she says, "I, I don't want to fight you. I can't do this anymore. And Abby's lost a lot to Ellie's course of revenge so you have these two characters completely shells of people facing each other everyone's exhausted including the person playing the game because they've been <laughs> along for the ride and there's this one final duel it's incredibly brutal Just,
0: now, is at this point is this something that you're playing or are you watching no
1: you're still playing you're playing the whole thing okay. it's a fist fight between these two characters ellie has a knife i think but they are essentially fighting to the death and ellie finally gets the upper hand because Abby's no longer super buff, because she's been strung up to dry for a month. And Ellie's about to kill her. She's holding her under the water, end of Blade Runner 2049 style. Mm -hmm. And she flashes back to Joel in her mind. She gets up, and she lets Abby go. When you're talking about it, it's really easy to undersell the absolute emotional exhaustion and fatigue of everyone involved. But she sort of rolls over, and she's crying, I think she lost a couple fingers in the fight, and Abby's also just exhausted. Ellie says, just go. Just leave. It's over. Abby gets in the boat and rides away. I'm leaving a lot of important details out for the sake of brevity. Brevity in quotes, because I've been explaining this plot for 20 minutes, probably. But that's essentially the game, and it ends there. The last thing you see, Ellie goes back to her house, her farm. Her significant other's gone. Her name was Dina, and she had traveled with Ellie over the course of the game through all her exploits. So she's been on the ride, and she's, she can't keep doing it either. Right. You know. So she leaves, she takes the kid, the house is abandoned. Most of the people that Ellie's cared about, they're dead or they're crippled emotionally and physically, including herself. And one of the ways that she's been able to connect with the memory of Joel over the course of the game is to play guitar like he taught her. The last thing you do in the game to really drive the nail home is Ellie picks up the guitar that Joel taught her to play, and she's going to play one last time, but she's missing fingers on her left hand, so she can no longer play guitar. (laughs) (laughs) The player has the agency also in this moment, so you're strumming the controller. But she can't. You just hear the, the plucks, you know? Yeah. Like the the chord's not ringing true. It's yeah. just pluck, pluck, pluck. Yeah. Depressing. And then she walks away. The camera kind of pans up and out the window, and you see Ellie walking into the sunset, the horizon. And that's The Last of Us, too. I'm just a ghoul. Win over Jordan. I'm just a goon.
0: I feel exhausted. I'm right, exhausted just right thinking now. about it.
1: I've watched this game through many times because I cannot for the life of me figure out how to feel about this game.
0: For the listeners, that was Gabe smacking his fists together out of anger. I'm,
1: I'm visibly angry <laughs> for He's, the for the listener. That sound. Anyway, this whole game... <laughs> still doing it. Yeah, I'm still doing it because there's... There's a lot of frustration from the community and a lot of knee-jerk reaction one way or the other. We've seen this with a lot of big franchises in the past. Right. When there's an expectation by the audience, by the consumer, almost a sense of entitlement to or ownership of these characters and their stories. So I thought it'd be a really interesting conversation to kind of dive into that just for a moment and think about that. Because we see that a lot now more than ever, especially with the advent of social media, the way ideas spread and mm. communities gather and grow. I mean, the first example that keeps coming to my mind is the character of Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. Right. You even said this in the Skywalker podcast. People have been living with these characters for decades, or in The Last of Us's case, seven years. hmm But it had basically the same emotional weight for these gamers. Right. But here's why I think it's such an interesting conversation to have that sense of audience expectation or consumer entitlement exists in so many ways. Mm -hmm. You could look at something like sports. When you have someone like LeBron James leave Cleveland or leave Miami or wherever he's coming or going from, you have fans that grow attached to this thing, this person, this story. This persona. And they start to develop this sense of ownership or entitlement and expectation. And then when that thing is disrupted or oftentimes we call them subverted expectations, Right, there is an incredible amount of backlash and frustration from the community. And you'll always have people that are there completely devoted and they'll circle the other way. They'll say, this is the best thing that could have happened. This is amazing. So whether or not this was the reaction, is this something that is really good or bad like what is good storytelling whether or not you are thrilled with the direction it took with the creative license that they were expressing is it a good story or is it not a good story so The Last of Us it began with the killing of a primary character from the previous game and that's a huge point of contention like was that even a good decision was it a bad decision regardless of how you feel about it was it effective even if it was effective was it still a good decision you know, shock value, for instance, is that a good thing or not? Well, God, you said a lot of things there, Gabe. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's okay. I'm scatterbrained right now.
0: <laughs> no, you're you're passionate about the subject, and I appreciate that. I think I fall into that category of people that no matter where the franchise goes, I try to follow it. There's a point to where I give up just like anyone else, and that's usually when the franchise repeatedly makes bad things over and over again. Like, for example, I really liked Transformers 1 a lot. Then Transformers 2 came out and I was like, okay. And then 3 came out and I was like, and I've dropped it. It wasn't after 2. I think most people would give up after Transformers 2 and be like, what was that? You know, that was terrible. So I fall into that category where any Star Wars scene that comes out, as long as it's not completely atrocious, there's always a chance that it can be redeemed. And I think Disney and Star Wars are trying very hard to do that. I think now audiences, maturity of intelligence has grown to where people are expecting more out of their entertainment. And then I also think attention spans have dwindled. And so I think both of those things play very heavily into audiences expecting more. The stories and the plot points that audiences want to participate in, they want them to be smart and fast. And I think that's why you ended up with something like Rise of Skywalker, But as a participant and somebody who's spending 25 hours in a video game, it's a very different story. It's more like a television series, I suppose. I was listening to Damon Lindelof just yesterday in an interview talking about how when they were making Lost, he was just like, we could be canceled at any moment. You're one bad episode away from losing viewers if you're not answering questions. And that kind of fan devotion when the fans are basically threatening to leave if you mess up once. Yeah. That's what he was feeling the whole time that he was making lost. And so I think with something like a video game, it's it's a little bit different because you are actually participating and with Last of Us 1, they really knocked it out of the park and fans really felt like they were participating in something good and then it ended in a way that you know, like I said people have been revisiting it ever since. And so I think the expectations were extraordinarily high for a sequel. I don't even know what to begin to say about culture or where it is or the the types of people that play video games versus average people that would be viewing a video game like that. But I can say if it happened in a television series, people as viewers would probably be feeling very betrayed. It's very difficult to tell whether the story is actually good or not. We know from even like a character design like Abby, who's not your traditional looking woman, that that was a bold choice. Having that character kill the most beloved character in the franchise in the start of the game was a bold choice. Having you play as her for
1: most of the game. Half the game. The game.
0: <laughs> from how you were putting it before, you think you it made it sound like you were playing as her for more than half the game.
1: I think it roughly comes out to about 45%. It's also a bold choice, though, to do that.
0: I always see like the sequel syndrome come in a couple ways. Sometimes they knock it out of the park. Other times they swing to one side too far. They play it really safe and it often is not good because they play it too safe. Other times they go too bold and then it ends up being something that is hated. I think what we're seeing here, you know, the split of people loving or hating it is people who are completely devoted to the franchise, like I was saying that I am usually to franchises. Those are the people who are saying that it is good. And The people who hate it are the people that are really recognizing that the bold choices didn't work and ultimately might have not been a great choice by the creators of the game. And I don't think it's for the sake of progressivism. I don't think it's for the sake of agenda. That is what I think Kathleen Kennedy does in Star Wars. Well, and here, I don't think it's that. And if it is, <laughs> they didn't do it well. I don't think. Because a lot of choices in this game seemed over the top to the point where it, <laughs> hurt, where it hurt them.
1: Well, that was one of the big points of contention. And if nothing else, it's overwhelmingly clear from the final product that this game was made to be provocative and it was made to push the boundaries and make people uncomfortable.
0: I can see why you were saying that people were unsure if the development process was bad because maybe the developer really wanted to just kill the franchise.
1: There's things that people have uncovered that can support that argument in terms of the creative director really trying to push away from an established feel and tone or character arc. I won't dig into that. You can just Google (laughs) the creative director's name, but looking at things like the character of Abby, there are a lot of choices made in the game. People are wondering if they were there To support the story or if the story was just there to support the agenda the follow-up question being whether or not either Direction is a bad thing.
0: Yeah, also because in the first game the heart of the story is these intimacy Problems and these relationship issues, which I think most people can relate with Not a lot of people can relate with revenge stories
1: murder rampage on a
0: personal and deep level Yeah, how does somebody relate with one person getting revenge and then the other person getting revenge because that person got revenge, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. One thing I will say about the game, showing you this character, Abby, who is basically just a perfect reflection of Ellie, or in some cases, Joel. There's so much parody between the two, and they really spell it out for you sometimes. Like, both have a pregnant friend, both have attachments that they're willing to do anything for. There's so many ways they go out of their way to show you that Abby is the Ellie of her story, and here's how you should feel about them and why. Sometimes it feels really ham-fisted. Ellie has to go through her half the story killing dogs because the enemies have dogs. Abby goes through her half the story fighting with the dogs and playing with the dogs because they... (laughs) are not the enemies in her I story. I thought you
0: were going to say killing cats. <laughs> no.
1: But things like that and the fact that you lose sense of realism, the suspension of disbelief when mm-hmm. you killed so many people. Your whole story is about breaking the cycle of revenge. At no point did Elliot Abbey Abby hesitate in the hundreds of people that they've killed to get to the point where you can finally say this is enough. There's an expression in gaming, it's a term called ludonarrative dissonance, that basically means it's the discord or the lack of harmony between the gameplay elements and the way the narrative plays out through those things and the way the narrative plays out through the storytelling so the game is telling you the whole time that revenge is bad but then on the other hand you have the gameplay where not only do you not have a choice in following through with these mechanics where you have to kill people but it's fun For the player, Naughty Dog did an incredible job making it an enjoyable experience for the most part to participate and to be a player in the game. So there's just a real conflict of intention by the end of the game. And I think that's also one of the reasons why people were frustrated was because they never really had a say in these decisions. Even if there was a choice you could have made that wouldn't have really altered the story very much, like whether or not you want to kill Abby at the end, for instance, I can tell you that many players would have chosen to find closure that way. And that wouldn't have been the story they wanted to tell, Mm -hmm. but I think it would have made the gameplay experience more satisfying.
0: There were people praising this game too for being the most creative and
1: best game ever, right? Yeah. How big is that crowd? It's probably close to a 50-50 split, really? to be honest. I don't know. I've spent a lot of time in both camps in forums and communities of people who feel very strongly one way or the other. And there's usually not a lot of civil discourse between those camps, Right. as you can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> but drifting between the two, it's funny you see a lot of arguments for or against, and they're often the same points brought up. They're like... The character development was garbage. And then the other side will say the character development was perfect. And so that's one of the reasons I feel like I've been gaslighting myself. I no longer am (laughs) sure when I'm seeing something. (laughs) You don't know what you think. In anything. I'm no longer certain. uh, Is this a well-told story? The question is not whether it elicited the emotion, whether it was effective in drawing that rage or those tears out of you. The question for me is, was it earned? Are we living in a simulation? Nothing is real for Gabe anymore. Is it a glitch in the matrix? So I think I've come to the conclusion that the story could have better been told. You have the obvious problems in a game of that length. Pacing, structuring the story. There was a very excessive use of flashback, which gives the player a very jarring sense of where they are, what they're doing. And sometimes you completely lose track of your objective. I think it just could have been tightened up and restructured, and you might have even found a way to fit that same story into a 15-hour game much more effectively. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's something I've been trying to figure out. Could this game have been telling the same story and been more effective? I don't know anymore. One thing's for sure, and it was an exhausting experience, even for the people who did like it. Interesting to note, the people who took longer to play it and didn't just spam it in a single day or two generally were more favorable towards the game. I don't know if that's correlation that proves causation, but it's something I noticed. It's going to be something that people are talking about for a long time, especially if there's ever a future entry in this franchise. Naughty Dog, as a company... This was a big risk for them to take, and I, I think only time will tell whether or not it was successful yeah. or good.
0: Let this just be said about how interesting video games can actually be. This video game is about all of those things that Gabe just talked about, but it takes place in a post-apocalyptic world where there are zombies. Not once going through all of that stuff did we actually even talk about zombies all that much. but that is the era that this is set in. So all in all, this is still sort of a zombie game or a post-apocalyptic game, but it's more than just about zombies. So you couldn't call it just another zombie game because it's not just that. And that goes to show how effective and important and interesting video games can actually be.
1: Obviously, it's a younger industry, a younger medium than film. It's still trying to find its footing. But I think we've had a lot of incredible stories told in the last 5, 10, 20 years. They're only getting better at pushing the boundary of what's possible in games. And I didn't even stop to say this game on all fronts that isn't storytelling Mm -hmm. is universally acclaimed. The characters, incredible performances all the way around. Mm -hmm. The game looks beautiful. The developers and designers did an incredible job building this world it's the best looking playstation game i've ever seen mm-hmm. and it runs on current gen which is really last gen yeah because <laughs> the playstation 4 is is, it? is on its last legs uh, the place hidden five is about in fact to when out. you run the game on a playstation 4 it sounds like a jet plane is taking off <laughs> because it's working so hard to run it and the game's fun for all intents and purposes it's a cover shooter stealth oriented third person shooter you can blow people's bodies apart. It's very brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned that earlier. It's an incredibly well-made game. Is it rated T for teen? No, it's M for mature. It's
0: M for <laughs> mature.
1: And it's just the story that is evoking such a interesting array of responses. Whether or not those things are out of emotion or out of logic, that's the discussion, but it is yeah. something worth... Noting. Yeah, I tried.
0: <laughs> are you familiar with any other zombie franchises? There's a lot. Any video game? But most other zombie book?
1: franchises are about the zombies. <laughs> They're not about the people. Silent Hill is one, right? Is uh, that's that... just more of a horror, horror title. It's more than just zombies. There's sort of zombies in it. But, you know, like Resident Evil. I've read every issue of Walking Dead, which is why I'm not a huge fan of the show. Walking Dead is an interesting I comparison. I was when it first
0: came out. but
1: That show, from what I've heard, in the last season or two has really had a uh, surge in uh, being good. <laughs> the The new showrunner, I think, has done a, a really great job from what I've heard. That just needs to end. Yeah, it should end.
0: It's strayed so much from what the... The comic book is so good. And That's th- not and, always a bad thing. Though. And the, the show has never really measured
1: up. There have been really good
0: episodes of The Walking Dead. It's just... Yeah,
1: there are moments. Generally, it is not on the same level. <laughs>
0: Are there any cool characters like Michonne in Last of Us?
1: Well, especially in the first game, all the characters are really interesting. There's no one as eccentric, I think, as Michonne or Negan, for instance.
0: Is Joel sort of like
1: Rick as far as his character? Yeah, Yeah, he's beat for beat. He's
0: Rick. (laughs) So, yeah, they killed Rick in the beginning of...
1: Yeah, imagine if season two of Walking Dead just started out with Rick getting blasted by a character you've never seen. Insult to injury in Joel's death. Abby beats him to death with a golf club. Nice. There's a lot of great memes floating around the internet. They call it Joel in One. Uh-huh. And they'll put like Wii Golf music <laughs> over Abby beating right. Joel to death. Right. It's it's incredibly sad. And
0: incredibly memey.
1: There are people that were so... They saw that happen in the first hour or two. And they just quit playing. And they stopped playing. <laughs> one guy watched eject his game from the PlayStation 4 and cut it up on camera, on stream, because he was so mad at what had just happened. People really looked at Joel like their own father figure. So you can imagine the response. Interesting quote from Troy Baker who voiced Joel. He does a lot of voice work. He said in the making of this game that if you're making something that you think people will enjoy, you've already failed. Something along the lines of that. I'm, I'm probably butchering it, but the intention being, I think, like I said earlier, they wanted to make something that would be provocative and push the boundaries crazy. And they did. Yes, they did. Here's to the next last of us. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I don't know where to go from here.
0: If I were developing last of us three, what I would do is I would take Ellie and I would have her go straight back to scientists and try to like, Just be like, I'm going to sacrifice my life and then have the story pick up from there. Like, have that not work out or have that journey be tumultuous or something. Or her going through this really existential, like, what am I even living for now? I'm just going to go kill myself and sacrifice my life because it'll actually be worth something at that point.
1: That was kind of her journey. Over the course of those four years between the two games, she had slowly come to realize that Joel had lied and that he stole her from that moment. And their final confrontation before the game takes place, the night before you first begin the game, which is told in a flashback at the end of the game, almost the last thing you see, very Christopher Nolan, the last interaction they have before Ellie watches him be beat to death is her telling him, I hate you for this. Joel says, if I had another chance to do it all over again, I'd do it the exact same way. And then she says, I don't know if I can forgive you, but I'd like to try. And then he is choking up and he says, I'd like that. And then they go their separate ways. And that's the last interaction we have, which sheds an interesting light over the course of the game. She was searching for forgiveness and searching for control and searching for, uh, like you said, a reason to live. Because these characters are constantly talking about having reasons to live, reasons to go on, reasons to keep fighting in this world. And Ellie, by the end of the game... You know, you don't know what she has to fight for anymore. She's finally let go of this crazy struggle, but she has lost everything in the process, so now she has to find something new to live for. Yeah. Well, what's the next big game? Cyberpunk. Oh, really? Twenty seventy seven. Oh, yeah, I saw the, the... It's delayed again. It was supposed to come out this month. I saw the trailer for that. It looked awesome. It's probably the most anticipated game of all time, to not undersell it it's gonna be probably the avatar uh james cameron avatar oh not shamala <laughs> maybe no i wasn't thinking shamala i was thinking the oh, actual, the actual avatar the good one it's it's probably going to be the james cameron's avatar of video games in many ways so that'll be in a few months that's something we're gonna to have to talk about okie dokie <laughs>
0: The music that you've heard in this episode is music from The Last of Us Part 2 by Gustavo Santaolalla, with additional music from Mac Quayle or Quale, not sure. Have fun sleeping tonight, Gabe. Yeah, I'm going to sleep Knowing for... that you've got all your feelings out about this
1: video game. That's, I'm going to be wrestling with it for a while, I think. Yeah, you're going to be editing this podcast for a while. <laughs> I can't let it go. I'm still thinking about it. I know you are. I need like a sleeping pill. I have
0: to actually just press stop so you will just stop talking <laughs> about it. <laughs>